Welcome to Spoilers. Uh, those beautiful voices were our own and not from the movie Frozen 2, which we are going to spoil today. Uh, how many are with us tonight? Four? Four terrible singers. Four <laughs> terrible singers. And as always, our favorite Disney correspondent, Renee Pixie Bomber. How are you? Good. I am coming in from San Francisco this time. Ooh, San Francisco. That sounds like fun. I have a question for you guys tonight. Because I've always been curious about this when it comes to Disney films. Um, was there primarily more adults in your guys' theaters or more kids? This is Samantha, recording from Louisville, Colorado. <laughs> uh, I went to a 9.30 show, which Stevie was gracious enough to drive an hour to come see me and watch this movie with me that late at night. And it was... I just love you. Primarily adults, which is probably the way the way to go. We've had some... Some sketchy experiences being the only grown man in a movie theater before, so it wasn't it's odd. Wasn't a repeat of that. Yes, I went twice. The grand opening night was probably I would say three quarters adults, and then the following day in IMAX, it was half adults, half children. Maybe two thirds hmm. if I looked, but I really didn't care to look. <laughs> uh, this is Josh recording from Goshen, and I went with my wife and three kids. <laughs> And I think that's pretty much the uh, quintessential thing happening in my theater. Probably like two kids for every, th- or three kids for every two adults ish. And uh, Pappy, like, I don't blame you for going wanting to go to an all adults one either, because like my three year old had like light up shoes, and I don't think we realized that she's like banging <laughs> her shoes all around. We went on my second, my two year old's birthday, and she's just two, so it's her first movie ever, and. Yeah, it was, it's pretty wild in a kid's theater. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I'm glad that you're on this podcast, Josh, because you're, you're not usually on the Disney pods, and we're three grown-ass adults who love Disney. And the last time you were on a Disney animated movie, you leaned hard into the villain. So I'm pretty excited <laughs> to hear what you have to say. By lean hard, you mean gently lean into Jafar. But I, yeah, it's a little intimidating uh, potting with you three on this after hearing your every Disney movie ever pod, which was great, by the way. Loved it. I have completed my whole list now, by the way, you guys. Just a little update. All of them? Yeah, even Brother Bear. It's terrible, isn't it? <laughs> right? Ah, it People is the worst. People need to go back and listen to us how go on and on and on about that. Which is even crazier because I was doing Disney trivia this past weekend and apparently there's a Brother Bear 2 that I had no idea existed, but... <laughs> I knew it existed. My wife and also my sister-in-law, her sister, know every song on that soundtrack, which completely just weirds me out. But not to get too sidetracked here, Frozen 2, Josh, I imagine you took your children to actually... How many children did you, how many children did you have at this point when the first Frozen came out? <laughs> 2013? I don't... Oh man, I don't. I didn't have any. So, so, how many times did you go to the theaters to see Frozen One? Zero times. Okay, <laughs> but deal. the Frozen One uh, was popular for so long. Uh, both of that thing had legs. Yeah, both mm-hmm. of my, all three of my kids have like grown up with Frozen One. So, how many times have you watched it the most in one week? I don't even know. There's a point where they're just repeating <laughs> a song. 
over and over again. Like they've learned recently how to rewind things. So uh, <laughs> life's life's pretty crazy <laughs> with that. Okay, well, Pixie, like, I have a. Oh, sorry, Josh, didn't mean to interrupt you. No, I was just you. You know how like they rewound and you can hear her singing "Let It Go" like once or twice in this movie, and she's like, mm-hmm. "Ooh!" Like she almost cringes at it. Like I love that song, and it's a great song, but I have heard it so many <laughs> times. <laughs> That definitely felt like a joke for the adults oh, it was. in the theater. So for the adults. I giggled a little too much. So I have a question for you guys. If anybody wants to jump in, I mean, this the music in this one was great. I love the music from the first movie, but in this movie, I feel like the music was really shoehorned in in some moments, where it just felt really odd to have like a part song or a whole song in certain moments. Anybody else feel that way? It wasn't as fluid as the last film. I'll agree. And the songs aren't as memorable. I mean, the first one you had, like, songs one after another you could easily sing. This one's a little bit more difficult to do that with the soundtrack. I would say End of the Unknown might be the catchiest. Which one's that? End of the Unknown! It's playing in the background. And then it had the, si- <laughs> had the siren song in um, place of it, and then it was also at the credits at the very end by Panic at the Disco. Like, Disney's selling that song hard right now. And was that the one that had, like, the the colorful line moving around the black screen? Uh, that was, was pretty, that you're right, that probably yourself. was that one. Yeah, that was where she was still in Arendelle. I mean, that was, I loved the animation in this, where as much as I didn't like the songs, I thought there were moments where it was some of the, some of the best animation I've seen I mean, in all of Disney. Doesn't Disney do water the best? They really do. The water horse. Oh my horse. gosh. The water horse was my favorite visual, probably. The water when horse she's has like... a name. <laughs> is it Bucky? Whoa. No. Oh, shut up, His hun. name is Nook, N-O-K-K, and he's a Kelpie, which means he's a shape-shifting creature of the water spirit. Yeah, so the water horse is really cool when it's uh, galloping over the water right after she tames it in the storm. I love that. It's so cool. Uh, I preferred Bruni, the little salamander. Who was That's what the name was? Yeah, his name is Bruni. He's a salamander, and he represents the fire element. He's a Disney toy. Yes. Yeah, did they say his name in the movie, or did you just get that from online? I only saw it once, so I could have easily missed it. Um, I saw it online. I think it's kind of like with... Entangled, you hear the name of the characters more than than, on, than you do here in Frozen Two. You actually don't get to know the name until you buy the toy. But yeah. Stevie, going back to the songs, just I wanted to mention the Kristoff song. Yes, like kind of. Uh, what is it? It's modeled after after like an early Weezer song or something. It's, is lost, is that- it's lost in the woods. I wonder if this is the song Weezer's covering, because I heard Weezer was on the soundtrack, but I didn't know which song they were covering. I think so. And I think even like the three-part harmonies that it has are like supposed to be an early 90s feel, but it did make me chuckle a little bit in the theater, but I've heard since multiple times that Disney's admitted to adding this in as like a joke for the adults. I was laughing hysterically. But that's like, Mm -hmm. that's what you're talking about though, Stevie. That's just completely shoehorned in as a joke. That's not good storytelling i don't feel like well i liked it 
there's a man showing his feelings and expressing his feelings in a deep, passionate way. Yeah, Josh. So it worked in that moment. I don't think that was shoehorned as much as, like, Anna walking around and singing for 20 seconds then getting back to the story. Or, like... I mean, I thought there's, like, little moments like that where it's like, that doesn't need to be there. But what Kristoff's song reminded me was kind of like a maybe mid to late 80s, like, power ballad. Yes! You know, those kind of, like, That's hair band... Uh, like those kind of hair bands that always, I mean, they were playing really hard rock, but they always had kind of like a love ballad on every album that was just there for some odd reason to get radio play. That's what this kind of reminded me of, especially when you just like hear like this giant guitar in the very, like in the first 10 seconds. I like had to cover my face at one point in the theater because I was laughing so hard. I thought it was mm-hmm. great comedy. Yeah, and even though it's edited like a '80s music video too, right? With his like face like popping up. Yeah, like, like the screen goes all black, yes. and you have like four different the faces popping head. up. Yeah, it looks like an '80s family portrait, really. Yeah, I would say I'm, I'm kind of in the on the middle, I guess, of you guys. On one hand, I thought it was hilarious, but on the other hand, I think it went on a little bit too too long. Like I wish it would have come to a more swift conclusion. We could have gotten on with the story because it did feel a little. A little shoehorned. In. I mean, Kristoff doesn't have a lot to do in this movie, Stevie, other than try and get engaged. Like, he's not no, a very active character. There's a couple things he does. He supports Anna to a degree that needs to be shown in movies. He shows up and says, "What can? how can I help? Like, what can I do? I'm here. Mm. He didn't try to save her. He didn't try to fix her. He didn't try to do anything. He was just like, I'm here. <laughs> What you need. <laughs> True. But the reason he's like lost and so heartbroken in the first place doesn't make any sense to me at all because it's like Anna left and they're all in this in frozen mist. Like did why didn't she just call out his name or search around for a while before she left? Like they have this big, huge plot point of them getting split up. And I'm not really sure there is uh, enough shown on screen to make me buy that. I did love though because my my fiance uh, take a drink every time I mention her on the podcast does the same thing where I'll try and like compliment her and she'll be like oh what are you trying to say blah 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 <laughs> in a totally joking way but it, I love that so much like when they were on the sleigh in the beginning but why did they part because they each had to do their own self discovery yeah. they each had to all go on their own little well, journey Josh and Chris yeah, I mean like his love is not fragile. In the context of the story, that's when he was like preparing the big engagement with that other guy, who's like his uh, analogy from the what were they called the North North Oldra? North Oldra. It was North such Oldra his pe- equivalent. Oh my gosh! Yeah. So yeah, he goes to do that while they have to like take off because of the giants or something. I think that's what happened, right? Yeah, that's what happened. Yeah. It was the giants. It was fire and then giants. Josh, I've always come to you on on matters of you know, oh boy, the context of film. I think. I I rip on Disney all the time, and I have to give credit where credit's due. I think that their portrayal of colonialism is is actually pretty good here, where they're they're talking about kind of those those themes, dealing with kind of an indigenous people getting fucked over by the uh, industrial complex. I, I don't know. What, what did you think about that, Josh? Yeah, I I liked a lot of aspects of the lore introduced. The Norfolkian people. With North Oldra. The, yeah. <laughs> with their like whimsical wood woodland magic was really cool. And I my wife and I my wife, uh, we're <laughs> talking about the like the real big takeaways of this movie. And obviously like 
the do the next right thing is a big one. But I thought a big part of it was to being able to face up to maybe like bad realities. Like I think that colonialism is something that's like pretty deep in American guilt, probably. Mm-hmm. And a lot of that's come to the surface recently in politics and stuff. And yeah. I don't know. I wanted to have an excuse to say the words white fragility at some point too <laughs> here. So. Well, I know, I know Brett's already turned off the podcast, but like compare. <laughs> <laughs> Poor Brett. Compare this to something like Pocahontas, like we talked about, like the song. Sad. Barely even human. Well, see, it's not, not even that, but the implication <laughs> Gosh, that, that, that both sides were savages. You know what I mean? That the chief is like. There's the white people are savages too. You know what I mean? These like, white men are evil. <laughs> this movie isn't trying to say you know there are wrongdoers on both sides. This movie is, is saying you know we have a, a checkered past at best. How do we move forward? And I think that's a very positive, yeah. the, positive message. The theme I got was them being stuck in the past and acknowledging the sins that led them there to undo that damage. Because mm-hmm. when you show up, what, 36 years later, and the people inside the Enchanted Forest, the soldiers, are still at odds. What did they do for food? <laughs> the forest provides. Mm. Mana. <laughs> but they were still at odds after like 36 years. And I'm like, how the heck does that happen? Well, it takes, you know, a magical princess to like fix it all. Magical white princess. <laughs> but <laughs> Well, is she though? Because she might she's half Okay. Moldra. Great plot point. Because I actually wanted to ask you about that, Renee. That makes no sense to me. So we learned that Anna and Elsa are both half North Uldra. Their mom saved their dad, but like what does that timeline look it's, like? She's it's saved bad. she saved him and then she goes to live with him and then later on she tell i i don't understand it at all i'm very confused we'll find out in the third movie pab <laughs> they led up to that point didn't they with olaf mm-hmm. um so the timeline according to renee is they go in the father sees the mother um utilizing the wind spirits and also the siren song so she's the one singing it and then the outbreak happens she saves him she hides in the cart they leave together they fall in love. They birth two children. One takes after the mother. One takes after the father. Hence the bridge. Can I interject here yeah. really quick? The movie starts off with a stance that he heard a voice and didn't know who it was. He didn't so, know who it was, but he followed the voice into the woods. Mm. Just like Elsa followed the voice into the woods. But we... S- me, being a smart person I am, I put it together. She was singing it while she was playing in the leaves. That's so convoluted, though. <laughs> is it not? I don't understand. Still. There's a few plot holes, and that's one of them, but this is how I put it together so I can sleep at night. <laughs> yeah, I'm not saying you're wrong. I'm just saying it's confusing as hell. <laughs> no, the other Disney podcast is you telling me I'm wrong. So people go back and listen to that because it's enjoyable. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> so is there officially time travel in Frozen Universe as well? Why do you say that? I thought you guys mentioned something with Olaf and maybe when he was like disintegrated, he like... Olaf having a Spider-Man moment because Elsa lost her powers because she was frozen because she went too deep down. <laughs> Water has memory, Josh. Oh, th- that's Olaf. <laughs> that scene was actually kind of cool. Yeah, I liked it. I mean, okay, so Which in one? all things when are the found, water started kind of slow mowing out of the uh, of the like the abandoned ship. Yeah, oh, where she yeah. was channeling the water to bring it up. That was awesome. 
That's another Disney, and like it was better in IMAX too, because I could really see like all the grooves in the wood and everything. It was fabulous. Pappy and Renee, you guys are talking about facing up to the truth, and the truth that they show through what Stevie's talking about and the ice is really disturbing. It's that chieftain peacefully drinking tea with Elsa's grandpa, his like about to take his head off. Uh, <laughs> they, they go deeper. <laughs> and it's, he's, they set him up to be the non-villain villain. Like there's, the grandpa? there's no real villain in this film, which is, which I loved I'm, about this movie. It was so different, but then you realize, oh wait, the grandpa was, you know, a jerk, and he was the cause of all of this turmoil because, you know, for whatever reasons he had, being the jerk he is. But he was set up, I mean, as to be the big villain to start it all, even though he's some would view him as not. It's a whole weird thing. I think Lindsay Ellis has a video about this, or she's coming out with a video or something, and, and Stephen, I'd like to know your take, but I, I read somewhere that there's people saying that kind of the concept of the Disney villain was pretty much dead and there really hasn't been a specific villain in, in quite a few films and kind of the reason for that is is that kind of the trouble they run into the 90s when you associate certain characters characteristics with villainy in a children's movie that can like read really badly uh 20 years later uh do you do you kind of see that trend stevie i mean it's like they've like completely gone away from the villain like like um let's see there was no real villain in moana Right. Um, That's what I was thinking. But previous to that, Big Hero 6 definitely had a villain. Yeah. Uh, Zootopia certainly had a villain. Um, okay, but those are all older. We're talking about Ralph Breaks the Internet, which came out just a year ago, and that one did not have a villain either. The, the villain was insecurity. Yeah, well, isn't it with everybody? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. One Moana and Frozen, it's definitely like a... Uh, man versus nature sort of or woman versus nature but right you know it's not man versus man or man versus self as much as it is in the other films i think which is cool like mm-hmm. the rock monsters are kind of villainous in this one but then they're just nice little i mean they get spicy sometimes but they're good boys well does it also does it help storytelling to not have like an overreaching villain like that i mean does it help with your main character's arcs more if there isn't like some like all menacing villain behind the scenes. I think. I mean, you, sorry. I mean, like, look back at the original like Golden Age films. You have a real mix. You have uh, a clear villain in Snow White. You have not really a villain in Pinocchio. It's just get rid of Fantasia. Uh, Bambi, the villain, is man in general. So I mean, it's not even <laughs> like they have. I would say that the Disney villain is almost more of a '90s conceit is specifically the disney villain who has the big song you know what i mean uh that that cruella Deville was the first that's true yeah look at game of thrones too like no real villain when you're looking at the politics and the good parts of that show but the night king which ended up being like the lamest part of the show like he's like that big overreaching bad that i think you're talking about stevie and it's just so lame like you just have to kill him the right way and all your problems are solved yeah which I, I mean, I guess I never really thought about that, but I kind of prefer the overcoming like one's fears or overcoming self more than I do an all menacing villain. Mm-hmm. I think that helps way more in this. It makes it deeper um, in plot because it 
while there's not enough conflict, which I think this one had less conflict than the previous film, there's still, it's the internal conflict, and it's also teaching children that you don't have to have a villain to stand up to. You can work within yourself, which is the whole self-discovery thing they're going with. Uh, but this one, it's the more complex themes, not having, like, this person, Cruella DeVille, is the cause of everything. Mm-hmm. And is the reason why there's this. This was a much more layered, and then you had Olaf providing children's exposition throughout it to help the younger viewers catch up. But overall, it had darker humor and darker themes because of the lack of villain. Well, speaking of, like, more complex, too, even the character of Olaf, who went to... <laughs> quite like a simpleton now he's asking these deep existential questions <laughs> essentially like, I, even, is one, like, I think at one point he's like is there life after death and i think even christoph <laughs> says we're all gonna die eventually at some point and to hear we're all gonna die eventually in a disney movie that that does make me really happy that that's a risk to take <laughs> that was part of his proposal is yeah. well, we're gonna die so pappy when you were just in town in elkhart we met up at yakidad and of course we talked about frozen too and I thought we had a really interesting conversation. Basically, like, when Olaf is saying, like, hey, I'm more mature now, on one hand, he's talking about, like, yes, him and the kids that love this movie at first are older, but also it's kind of like the creators talking to the criticisms of Olaf being too childish maybe or something Mm -hmm. yeah and i i yeah either it was a commentary on that i think olaf is a very necessary character in the first frozen because i love the song in summer i think he provides the levity that's needed to get a a small child through a musical um but yeah i I thought like his what was his song everything will make sense when i'm older Mm -hmm. that's i mean that's that's a thought that i that i think i've literally had as a child and come to learn that that's probably not the case and that's kind of you know maybe the joke for kids a joke for adults that you think that but it's not gonna necessarily necessarily be true something with a creepy creepy face And as long as we're on Olaf, I'll just throw out my favorite Olaf moment. When they first get to the fog, and it's like this awe-inspiring fog, and they're like touching it. And like, of course, Olaf is like perfectly within his character to just use it as a toy to like bounce in and out of. That was really humorous. Boom. Boom. That was my second favorite. My first favorite is when Olaf meets the Northoldrans, he decides to give them the entire history of the first film in (laughs) Olaf perspective. (laughs) That was my favorite, especially the quick cut when he's like, even though they don't have each other, they still have their parents and all this quick cut, Elsa's parents died. Like, I (laughs) love that part. (laughs) It got real so fast. And they're like, oh, okay. And the other uh, Olaf line that I think is probably my favorite line of the whole movie is when he's like intimidating um, or yeah, when he's talking about Kristoff and he's like, oh, my name's Kristoff and I talk to Rock, so I'm going through trauma. And it's like this really quick line and he's out of, out of scene really quickly. I love that line. Uh, I, we were talking about earlier where he's recapping the story and Sterling K. K. Brown, uh, who played Matthias, mm-hmm. uh, that's the, the guard's name, uh, but his reactions to the story are so like genuine and he's so into it. He's like, no, the whole time he's telling the story. <laughs> that, 
highlights their animation of showing in story just the nonverbal reactions other characters can have. Mm-hmm. But it's also, uh, I think some of those jokes land really well when they're within that person's character. Like, that person's been there for 34 years, probably dying for any gossip <laughs> about his hometown. And it's just like Olaf using this awe-inspiring frozen magical fog as, like, a whirly-durly toy or something. <laughs> just, he would do that. How many years were they in that fog? I think it's 36. I'll have to check my notes. So yeah. how old are Anna and Elsa, or how old were their parents when they had Anna and Elsa? Well, okay, they were teenagers when they left okay. the fog, so you got to give, you know, a few years for a growth, but I believe... Don't blow on this house of cards anymore, it's about to tip over. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'll check my notes, but I'm leaning towards over 30, though, for some reason. Hmm. Interesting, interesting. So, was there anything in this movie you guys really thought they could have done without completely? Like, this movie didn't need that, or just a certain song, or a certain scene? Uh, this okay. I want to ask you, Steve. I want to turn this back on you. You, we we've talked. I've talked about this before on the the Black Panther podcast and other Marvel podcasts that Disney will allow representation up to the point where China will allow the film to be played in China, and that, that's echoed by this having the largest opening box office of any animated worldwide box office of any animated movie of all time, mm-hmm. almost a billion dollars. So and, and South Park has parodied the, South Park has parodied this too, right? That that Disney is is beholden to the amount of money they can make in China. Yeah. You you turn to me during the movie, then also after the movie, saying "Show Yourself" was essentially a coming out song. One hundred percent. Without being a coming out song. One hundred percent. But. But Disney, of course, will never have the guts to make a gay character until they know they can actually sell the movie in China. Where I guess, Stevie, where did you get the coming out song? Because like, as soon as you said it, it clicked in my head, but I, I didn't get it at the time. So, who's that painter that has a lot of female anatomy representation uh, in her paintings without really outwardly saying it so much? Is it Georgia O'Keeffe? Yeah, Georgia O'Keeffe. I think we talked about her on the Pan's Labyrinth episode. You get it? being reborn yeah that's really what stuck out to me at the animation and the lyrics at certain points that were flying out with it um i have no issue with it but i have to think that was somewhat intentional i mean like let me find the lyrics here you guys like did you get from that pap when i said it I mean, like when you it's the vaginal imagery. Looking back, I think that there there was at least once or twice when I thought that a cave. The moving uh, of the beams. Look, yeah, 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 I I did it. pick it up there, and yeah, but I mean, yeah. The, the Is this real? Like, Are you for real? <laughs> yes, I swear to God. I had this conversation with my cousin while we were at dinner tonight, asking him if he thought this was a coming out song without it being over it's an anthem and he was like this is the song they should have sold rather than the other song yeah i want to know the veracity yeah. of the claims that there's vaginal imagery in this movie i, mean, I didn't catch the, that. you didn't catch the caverns josh <laughs> as the owner of the vag here on the podcast i will say i saw some <laughs> imagery of very very much so they were rather open as she's walking through the openings very much so Here's the lyric she's belting. 
while she's running through these caverns. And also, like, the snowflakes or the elements that were floating had a certain shape to them as well. But um, she's, like, screaming, I've never felt so certain. All my life have been so torn. But I'm here for a reason. Could it be the reason I was born? I've always felt so different. Normal rules don't apply. Um, is this the day? Are you the way? Today's the day I finally find out why. I mean, I think it's a pretty clear <laughs> coming out song. I mean, I don't know if anybody else feels that way. But, but. It's, the, it's the pussyfooting that Disney does that they've done in, in so many movies that we've talked about. Like Captain Marvel, where she, where I thought there were cl- clearly some some lesbian overtones there and but they can't they can't actually have a gay character because then the movie won't play in china and it's that's what's really disappointing is that no matter how much representation they put in okay here the only thing that really matters is the money here's another one i've always been a fortress cold secrets deep inside you have secrets too but my secrets i have to hide come Baby, on Baby, she was born this way come on <laughs> Yeah. I mean, the children aren't going to know it, but adults will be able to, you know, grasp what it was. Yeah, I just, I mean, I think it was a great anthem, too. It was probably one of my favorite parts of the movie. I just had to turn mm-hmm. to Pap and said, there we go. Because Disney, like you said, <laughs> Pap, will never outwardly say it. And again, I'm not accusing anyone at, at that company of being homophobic, but... And they were also they were progressive in the '90s and having Pride Days at the parks when that was a very unpopular thing to do. Mm-hmm. But th- that there's just too much money to be made in China for them to risk it, which is really just. I think they're going to test their waters with Valkyrie in uh, Phase Three of Marvel. But a Disney princess film is more delicate um, in the mm-hmm. Disney canon than their other properties, and they're going to be it's very true. careful with how they handle that dynamics. Uh, but the community wants it. The community has been asking for it. And I think this is Disney showing the community, we're nodding to you, but we understand our limitations. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like you said, Drew, like they're not like outwardly homophobic. I mean, it's like they've all, like you said, I mean, I've been there in the 90s as a kid, like when they had like pride parades and they'd have, you know, what they used to call, they just used to call it gay day. Um, mm-hmm. And now it goes under a different name, but they do sell a lot of pride. Uh, gear in the parks which i think is nice uh but i think it'll be at least another decade before they can do more than they did with elsa here what's china's problem with homosexuality you get like negative uh citizen credits if you're gay or something like what's well, the deal like, you can't even like the, they'll not allow a lot of movies that have like ghosts and stuff monsters too. Like any, yeah they're very strict as far as that goes but i mean like the financial ties between the chinese government and disney Go way back to the beginning of Bob Iger with like Disney Shanghai. So I mean, it's just a matter of Are they time. all homeschooled over there or what? <laughs> well, they don't even have Google. <laughs> the only way, and I'm just saying this Sad. on my little tiny itty bitty platform that I can scream from, but the only way you're gonna see a gay superhero or a gay Disney princess or a gay Disney male hero is if that the lack of representation there in the domestic box office starts to outset the the lack of the Chinese box office, right? So, I mean, it, it takes people talking about it, I think. And I think it's an important thing to bring up. But that was the only thing that I thought I could have done done without. I wish it was done in a different way. We needed Brett here for that. If you want, I can... Oh, God. I, I have somebody in my house who's half Chinese. I can just like, summer her and ask her, you guys. That's okay. Okay. <laughs> She'll probably wrap this up pretty soon. <laughs> no, I, I think it's sad. And it's not a reflection of the Chinese people the kind of jokes and light I'm making. It's like, why? 
what is the government's stance and what are they getting these morals from that ghosts and homosexuality are on this banned list? I, I truly just don't understand it. I just don't know if China's gone into the unknown yet. Oh, <laughs> there it is. Renee. There it is. I mean, when we started this podcast, Josh, I brought this up in a lost episode, but they only used to allow 24 U.S. movies like to be seen in China. I mean, a year and they had super strict guidelines. And I don't know what contract Disney has with China, but those numbers have gone way up and they definitely get the most like movies to be shown more than any other studio. Ball. But mm-hmm. um, let's just go around the table, give yes or no's, and if you liked it more than the first, Pixie, I will start with you. So I'm torn between like a hard yes and a soft yes. It's gore-wise, it's the same par four stars as the first one. In my full complete list, it is down underneath the first mm. film. And as an overall experience, um, while the animation is fiercely better, and the details, even to like the little facials markings, when I saw like, I'm like they have pores. I mean, it's just spectacular. <laughs> it's a highly recommend IMAX for this one if you can. Even though it's not formatted for IMAX, it's still the details alone is worth it. Um, what didn't work for me was the, the two separating of timelines. It was a little too um, disjointed as an overall story, giving more story plot holes. My cousin, who I'm staying with, he's not a fan. Swear words came out when he was referencing how much he did not like it. And I said, oh. I'm not going to use those words on the podcast tonight. <laughs> I respect Disney too much. Fuck yeah. Well, he said it was like ass. Like he did not like it at all. <laughs> Uh, but for me, I'm somewhere between um, hard yes and soft yes. Solid yes from Pixie. Pap, how about you? Yeah, I have this at number 34 on my list. I have it below Liddy and the Tramp and above the 2011 Winnie and the Pooh. Uh, yeah, I, I think Renee had a very astute criticism. That's something I couldn't even put my finger on. That The, the separating of the timelines, which is something that you see in in many, many, many sequels from Toy Story to Guardians of the Galaxy, splitting up the, the crew that had been assembled. It's a very standard tactic for a sequel, but to me, it only was to the detriment of the film. Like I said, some of the best animation that I've seen in a long time from Disney, uh, especially when there's minimalism, like the, the, the gray backgrounds of, of her uh trying to run against or the black backgrounds of her trying to run against the waves and the gray mm. backgrounds like outside the ship uh contrasted with the color that we got i thought it was just just stunning and beautiful uh the songs were not as memorable the performances are still good and as a fan of musicals unfortunately unless cats absolutely surprises me this is probably going to be the best musical that we get of the year so it's it's a flawed film and and like i said in my letterbox review i think it's officially signaling the end of the Disney Renaissance or the revi- the Disney Revival or whatever you want to call it. We've now officially moved into some kind of more of a sequel-oriented, mining the intellectual properties that we have era of Disney. But I, I for what it's worth, I enjoyed the film. I gave it gave it a yes now, and you, you know, it's it is what it is. Disney is what it is, and not my favorite Disney movie, but you know, it's fun. Josh, I think that sequels in my book. They just have like a much harder route to my heart. They really have to like prove their worth. And I'm really not sure that this one proved worthy of 
um, delving back into the story. I think I, I like a lot of the stuff about the spirits. I think those are my favorite parts, kind of when Elsa's going back and taming each spirit one by one. But ultimately, like I missed in the first movie, how her powers are just kind of mysterious. And I just felt like the story was so much stronger in the first one. Uh, like, I don't want to rehash everything with the visuals. Pappy covered a lot of it, but love the water horse. Sorry, Renee. Never going to remember its real name. Um, it's okay. And, like, and we, we don't have everyone on this podcast. And, like, I think I got to represent myself and, like, Mikey and Jordan and Brett and Corey, who are like, uh, probably not going to see a Frozen 2 movie. It's not really my thing. I had kids, so I had to see it. Not horrible, but it's a soft no for me. I respect that, Josh. Um, let's see here. I like this one more than the first. Um, wow. Yeah, I don't know what, what I, I don't know. I actually really like the story as disjointed as like the timeline was. I actually kind of like the story and it's like really dabbling into like the magic of uh, Elsa and where it came from. And kind of that whole lore. And the animation, I thought, was absolutely beautiful. Um, I thought Olaf was hilarious. And I think, because you know there's going to be a Frozen 3. I think once 3 drops, it'll improve on 2 itself. Because I really think when they released 1, Disney had no idea what they had. Like, I didn't think they had any clue it was going to be the money-making machine that it was. Um, but I think once, and you know they're going to make a three. That's just very obvious to me. I mean, that was probably greenlit before Olaf even two came said out. It. Really? Oh, right at the end. Oh, okay. I thought you meant Josh Gad said something. Um, but I think three will cast two in a better light. So I will give this a very solid yes. And I'll put it above the first Frozen. Stevie, I have one other thing I want to talk about for you. Toss it out here. Um, I noticed that from 2013 to now 2019, Disney's learned and they added some people of color to the fray in this movie. Something that Peter Jackson never did. Never. Um, never and I did. wondered, Pappy, if you might want to tease what we got coming up here <laughs> <laughs> December. Well, I, uh, yeah, I guess no shame. before. Yeah, before Stevie. <laughs> That's a Chuck uh, freebie segue. Yeah, before Stevie tosses it to Spoiler Man, uh, we we're gonna we had our best year ever in spoilers uh, by by quite a bit. I'm honestly kind of blown away by the number of plays we're getting across all the places that we host this podcast. So to kind of wind down the year, we're gonna do something a little bit different. We've had a lot of fun, you know, with with Brett doing every best picture or Renee doing every Disney movie. So we're gonna try something a little bit different. We're gonna do a multi episode series on one movie and that movie's going to be Lord of the Rings, The Fellowship of the Ring. So, TBD on the details. We're still hammering it out, but we'll we'll see see how that shakes out. What was that, the Renee? The whole trilogy or only The Fellowship? Multiple episodes on one movie. Oh my gosh! I'm going to so listen to it and share it so much. <laughs> well, I hope it's good. I cannot wait. <laughs> And yes, Brett, if you're listening, we're going to do an episode on why there's no persons of color in any Lord of the Rings movies outside of the Yorks. 
Maybe a segment. But we'll that'll, that'll be a whole episode. We're going to do a deep dive on that. But uh, before kicking the spoilers, man, is there anything else? Jo- Pappy, Josh, do we have anything coming down the line quickly? Nope, just that. Just that. Yeah. All righty. Well, thank you, Pixie, for joining us as always. We love having on Disney episodes. I will leave like Olaf and Spider-Man. I'll just float into the wind. <laughs> Renee doesn't feel so good. <laughs> thank you to our listeners uh, and if you haven't go see Frozen 2 I think it's an incredible film no matter what Josh says uh, and uh, take it away Spoilers Man Spoiler Man here our email is podcastspoilers at gmail.com Twitter is at spoilers underscore pod our Instagram is podcastspoilers it's lit Josh Hensley from the Rutabaga wrote our theme song. Our spoilers hotline is 903-776-4507. That's 903-SPOIL-07. That was spoilers.